Welcome back to our study of the scripture. We're actually taking a break from our study of the Psalms this week to study a significant theme that runs throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And that theme is the idea of God's people as both priests and kings. So we're going to see this in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, in the book of Exodus. We're going to see it in the New Testament as it's applied to the church in 1 Peter. And we're also going to see it in the book of Revelation uh, toward the close. So uh, let's look together at the scripture and see where this theme comes from. Uh, then we're going to see where it goes, how it's applied to us. And then at the end, we'll talk about what it means for the way that we live now. So first of all, in the beginning, we know that the Bible says that God made uh, man in his image and after his likeness. Uh, we know that the scripture says in Genesis 1 that uh, God told um, the first man and the first woman to uh, subdue the earth and to have dominion over it, right? So in Genesis 1, um, 28, for example, it says, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and so on. Uh, dominion right, is rule, right? You have a domain or someone exercises dominion in their dominion, right, in their kingdom. Uh, so to have dominion and to subdue things, that's a royal task, or that is what rulers do, that is what kings do, and that's what God charged uh, humanity to do in the beginning when he made the first man and the first woman. So we see a, a kingly aspect to Adam's calling and Eve's calling, even from the very beginning. We also see a priestly aspect to what Adam is tasked with in Genesis chapter 2. So the first off, the way that the Garden of Eden is described, and then the way that the later temple and tabernacle are described, overlap. Because the tabernacle and the temple were meant to remind Israel of the Garden of Eden. And that means that Eden, the Garden of Eden, was a sort of sanctuary. It was a place where God dwelled, uh, where God walked with his people. Uh, and so the, the overlap there is significant, right? That Adam and Eve are put in a, a sort of sanctuary in the Garden of Eden. And, and uh, scholars have talked about this at length, uh, showing these connections and, and, and making this case uh, for us to see. And, you, and so you can look into that more. But... It's a, it's a sanctuary, it's a holy place, and not only that, but in Genesis 2.15, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Uh, one of the things that's also been pointed out is that those two words, work and keep, uh, one of the reasons why they're so significant is because they also show up in the instructions for the Levites. The Levites were uh, the people of the tribe of Levi who were tasked with uh, helping Aaron and the priestly family, right, with the uh, work of worship and uh, the work surrounding the tabernacle and, and whatnot. So it says, for example, in Numbers 3-7, they, the Levites, shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. And the word guard there is the same word as keep in Genesis 2.15. And the word minister there is the same word as work in Genesis 2.15. So 
That connection indicates that Adam's work at the garden was priestly work in a what we could call in a sense a priestly place, right? It's a sanctuary. And so Adam, from the very beginning, is designated or talked about in both priestly and kingly terms. Um, and then when Adam falls and Adam and Eve are removed from the garden, so Eve sins, Adam sins, they're removed from the garden. After the fall, what's happening in the rest of the Bible is that God is at work to restore what was lost in the fall, what was lost in Eden. And so we see God doing that um, through Israel. It, for example, in Exodus 19, when Israel has been delivered from Egypt, they've been brought to Mount Sinai to meet with God. In Exodus 19, um, it says, this is verse 4 through 6, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me, here's what we're looking for in particular, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So kingdom and nation go together there, right? And priests and holy go together there. So a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. They are to be a priestly people. They are to be a kingdom. Uh, they are to be a nation. And uh, with, you know, royalty, so to speak, a, a royal um, a people, right? A, a kingdom, but also a holy people, a priestly people. So Israel is called by God to be what Adam failed to be, right? One who exercises dominion under God. God's the ultimate king, but they're to exercise dominion under God and serves as priest to God, worshiping him and mediating between God and men. One of the, the, the two things that the priests do essentially is they worship God and they, uh, they serve as mediators between God and the other men, right? They're, men themselves, right, uh, these priests in the Old Testament, um, but they mediate between God and man. So they represent uh, men before God, and they represent God to men, and so they're, they form this, they serve this mediating role. And that's what Israel was supposed to do as well. They were supposed to serve as um, a sort of nation of priests representing God to the world, um, and they didn't do that very well, right? But that's part of what they were called to do. Uh, then in the New Testament, we see the Apostle Peter apply this same language that's applied to Israel in the Old Testament. He applies that same language to the church now in the New Testament. So, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So this is talking about Jesus, right? Jesus is the living stone. He's alive. He's resurrected. He's, he was rejected by men. He was crucified, but he's chosen by God. So as you come to him, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Right, so there again, you have this idea of they're being built into a spiritual house. What's that? That's 
would be a, a temple, right? A house of worship, uh, God's house. So they're being we're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. So there again, we are supposed to be priests. We are even. Uh, in a sense, we are a, a temple of God, being built up as a temple of God since God dwells in us. And then later in verse 9 of 1 Peter 2, he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So there's Exodus 19 language again, now being applied to the church. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what Peter is saying is that the church is now called to be and is what Israel failed to be, a people who reign under God's reign and serve as priests before God to the world. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. Now, uh, how did that come to pass or how do we become this kingdom of priests? Well, John tells us in the book of Revelation uh, in Revelation 1 and Revelation 5, we see uh, this language picked up again, right? So in Revelation 1, uh, 5 and 6, it says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus has died to free us from sin, but he's not only freed us from sin, he's also made us a kingdom and he's made us priests. To God the Father. Right, so there again, you have that idea of royalty and priesthood being applied to believers. And then in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, this is uh, God, uh, John is having this vision of the heavenly throne room. And in chapter 5, he sees the Lamb standing as though it had been slain. And then he hears this it says, They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, talking to the Lamb, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So there again, Jesus, by his death, has not only redeemed us, but made us a kingdom and made us priests. And because of what he did for us, we're going to reign. That's what kings do, right? We're going to reign. So. We have become kingly priests and priestly kings through Jesus's saving death. That's what has happened. Uh, and then uh, finally from scripture, and then we'll reflect on how we apply the scripture uh, in just a moment. Uh, in Revelation 20 and 21 and 22, these ideas uh, come up again in those great climactic chapters of the Bible, where in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, and this is talking about the millennium, which of course, there's all kinds of different uh, interpretations about um, when and how this is going to take place. But in verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So again, you have that combination of reigning like a king and also being priests of God. Uh, and then in Revelation chapter 21, uh, we also have this uh, sort of more of a hint in this direction because the new Jerusalem in the new creation in Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem uh, doesn't have a temple. There's no temple. It says for the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. I think that's how it phrases it. And 
but also if the temple is described as, uh, or excuse me, the, not the temple, the city, the New Jerusalem is described as a cube in Revelation 21, 16. It says the city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. And that's significant because in the Old Testament, the thing that's a cube in the Old Testament is the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the sanctuary, of the tabernacle, of the temple, which is where God's presence was, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so John is saying that the whole city, the whole New Jerusalem is the Holy of Holies. So if we are in this new city, right, if we're, we're dwelling in this place, we're dwelling in God's presence like the high priest would get to enter into um, the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. So that's another priestly hint. And then in Revelation 22, verse 3 and 4, it says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their forehead. So we're in the Holy of Holies, and we're worshiping God. That's Those are priestly things, right? And then in chapter 22, verse 5, it says, Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So there again, you have reigning, kingly function. So our calling to be priests and kings is not temporary, but extends into eternity as we worship God and reign with him forever. This is what God intended for Adam to be in the beginning, and this is what we will be in the end, priests and kings in the image of God. So what do we do with that? What does that matter? That you might say, well, that's really interesting to see that theme, you know, all across the Bible and see how it all interconnects. But what does it mean? What practically, what, how should that shape me? Well, first of all, uh, it should shape your identity, the way that you think about yourself. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, this is true about you. You are a part of a kingdom of priests, right? A, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a child of the king, like the hymn says. And you're called to represent God to the world. That is who you are. It should also affect the way that you read the Bible. I mean, think about this. When you're in the Old Testament, every time you read a story about a priest or a king, you're reading a story about somebody who has something in common with you, or you have something in common with them. You're not a priest in the Old Testament sense, and you're not a king, obviously, in the Old Testament sense either, but you have kingly and priestly responsibilities, kingly and priestly functions, uh, kingly and priestly identity as someone who belongs to God in Christ. So that means whenever you're reading a story about a priest or a king in the Old Testament, you're reading a story that has something to say to you about the kind of person you should seek to be or the kind of person you should seek to avoid being. So if you're reading about a priest who is unfaithful to God, rebellious, and, and not following God's way, that's a warning of what you should not do, how you should not act. If you're reading a story about a king who was godly and faithful and sought the Lord, uh, who you know served the people well by pointing them to God, that's a that's a story that's reminding you about what you are called to do, right? How you are called to uh, honor the Lord and point others to Him, and things like that. And then finally, um, this ought to shape the way that not only we think about ourselves and our identity, not only the way that we read the Bible, uh, but also shape the way that we live. Uh, there's a certain combination of confidence and humility 
that should come from knowing that you are a royal priest. Right? Uh, confidence, knowing one day you will reign with Christ. And humility, knowing that that is only true because of what Christ has done for you. You should have confidence knowing that you have fellowship with and access to God. And humility, knowing that that also is only because of what Christ has done on your behalf. So you are a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people called by God, loved by God, uh, a people who are meant to proclaim the excellencies of God. And so remember that's who you are and learn from Scripture what that means about who you should be and how you should live. And then go live in that confidence that comes from being loved by God and called by God in that way. And with the humility that comes from knowing this is who you are only by the grace of God. God bless.